You're listening to the NASM CPT Podcast with Rick Ritchie, winner of the Share Care Emmy Award for Social Storytelling and the official podcast of the National Academy of Sports Medicine. Hey, y'all, and welcome to the NASM CPT Podcast. My name is Rick Ritchie, and today we're going to talk about active stretching, which is a form of active flexibility when you look at kind of the overall flexibility continuum that NASM has. So NASM starts with, with corrective flexibility, which includes static stretching and PNF stretching, neuromuscular stretching. Uh, and then it goes to active flexibility. That's active stretching. And then it goes on into functional flexibility, which includes things like dynamic stretching. Well, today we're going to talk about active stretching. And what I like about active stretching is that if you look at the OPT model, you have a, a sense that kind of the first part of the o OPT model, that first level in the model, stability training, also deals a lot with correcting some imbalances. And that's that can be very true. Not everybody is going to focus on that, but most people are going to have a some sort of focus on on you know the, their warm up and addressing a muscle imbalance and adding strength to the weaker muscles and then moving on into their workout and so we're going to take that and then we move to the strength level and the strength level uh we're building strength but even in flexibility you're adding strength that's what active stretching is active stretching is providing strength to your newfound range of motion that you got when you were doing static stretching. Here's what it looks like. Let's say for instance that you're doing, um, part of your, your static stretching program was to create length in your hip flexors. So you wanna get more range of motion in your hip flexors. They've been identified as tight and you foam roll and you static stretch and you start increasing your ability to go into hip extension. But then you're doing activation exercises, so you could be posterior side. So we're working the glutes to try to practice it, things like that. But now we move on into active flexibility. Active flexibility is the ability for the glute to actually drive you into the stretch. So let's say you're doing a standing or a kneeling hip flexor stretch. You just kind of go into a posterior tilt and you drive your hip forward, or you're going into extension using your glute, and you hold that for a second or two or three or four. And in some instances in the research, I've seen up to 10 seconds of just a hold and then backing off out of it. So I like to usually do about two seconds and drive forward, hold for a couple seconds, and then bring the hip back, drive forward, bring the hip back. And so now I'm priming my glutes for activation and I'm also extending my hip to increase range of motion. It's another reason why I like bridges. I think bridges can be such a great exercise because it, in, in reality, can be an active stretch for your hip flexors, for your quads, uh, rectus femoris in particular, and your hip flexors. So here's why it's great. You're using a couple of things. You're, you're actively stretching. You're also trying to use this concept of reciprocal inhibition and you know, when, a, when a muscle contracts, there are electrical signals that take place. And it's usually things like sodium and potassium that help your nerves send those electrical signals that are known as action potentials. And then it 
creates the contraction in the muscle. But did you know you actually need to inhibit calcium to make it not contract? So what's happening on the other side is that there is an active, the muscles are actively trying not to contract. And that would be some uh, minerals like magnesium, which are very good and generally put in charge of helping muscles relax because they block calcium. So there are these calcium blockers. They block the calcium and that allows the muscle to be stretched. But at some point, you're going to go far enough into a stretch that there's a co-contraction. You can't stretch it anymore, can't inhibit it anymore. That muscle is going to tighten. But we look through this idea. And this was interesting. So Ham and Alexander in 2010 talks about reciprocal inhibition and saying that it's not fully reciprocal, which means if you have 70% on one side, you don't have 30% on the other side. that's That would be reciprocal. It's not 100% on one side of muscle activation and zero on the other side. So it's not, it's not a linear reciprocal inhibition. It's not a numeric reciprocal inhibition that says reciprocal inhibition between quadriceps and hamstrings are not actually reciprocal, i.e. not equal in both directions. That's true. It doesn't mean that just because there is a a physics term for reciprocal inhibition or a mechanical term for reciprocal inhibition, that that is not the way that we define it in our jargon. And that happens with, uh, with a lot of things as it goes from one focus to another focus. But let's talk about active flexibility. And we know that we're using this concept of reciprocal inhibition and what that means for us. So here we are with um, uh, Nishikwana, at all, 2015, the immediate effects of passive and active stretching on hamstring flexibility, a single-blinded randomized control trial. And if you want to, you can PubMed this and look at it. But basically what it says is that there is a passive stretching group where they do knee extension from a 90-90 position. And there is an active stretching group. And the groups perform three of the stretches. Each stretch, this is an example, was held for 10 seconds, not the two seconds that I like to do generally when I do active stretching. But they would go and they would actively stretch from a 90-90 position. Now, what's a 90-90 position? I'm, I'm lying on my back face up. I pull my knee towards my chest so my hip is flexed to 90 degrees. My knee is flexed to 90 degrees, so it's just kind of hanging out there. And then I try to extend my knee. How far can I get that? So it says that they'll do that until they feel a stretch. They're going to hold that tightness in the hamstring, hold that stretch for 10 seconds. And the, here's the thing. There's a control group. We like control groups because control groups allow us to say, all right, did either of these versions of flexibility or is there something in the environment that made everybody more flexible? So the control group, nothing. They got nothing. They performed no stretch, and they got zero increases after the outcome. So after stretching, so here are the results, there's a significant improvement in the hamstring flexibilities of both the active and passive stretching groups compared to the control group that didn't do any. Also, the passive stretching group showed significantly greater range of motion and hamstring flexibility than the active stretching group. This is good because this is what we are doing in the corrective exercise phase, the static stretching. We're not focusing on static stretching in the active stretching group. Why? Because ideally, we've done enough static stretching to garner that new range of motion. And now we're practicing to get stronger through that new range of motion. 
So the authors concluded that both versions were good at the uh, active hamstring extension test. They both helped. However, passive stretching was more effective than active stretching at achieving the immediate increase in hamstring flexibility. But here's the thing. And we talked about this because we've been doing a running story on static stretching and its ability to assist in certain things. And this one does show increase in flexibility, but how long do you keep that? And it is, it is my position that you only keep that flexibility as long as you keep stretching or as long as you keep using it. And what is the best way to actually use flexibility? by incorporating it into your daily life. And I don't mean that by stretching. I mean that by, are you actually actively going into stretches? So that is either active or dynamic. It's using the muscle on one side to contract in order to practice utilizing the range of motion on the other side. So active stretching is the strength to move through your range of motion. Here's a great example of active stretching, um, active flexibility, rather. It's an example of active flexibility where I was, I was a young martial artist, but I was pretty good and I was sparring my coach. And um, I did something super cool and very unexpected. And it led to me knocking down my my martial arts teacher. I fell down too. It's not like I was really good at what I did, but we both hit the ground and kind of laughed it off. But it got serious and not so much from my end and I'm scared to death now. So uh, at one point he does this move and his leg goes up in the air and it's going to come down on my head. And I just bend down, I cover my head and I'm, I'm just holding, waiting for this ax to chop me on top of my head. And it didn't. It didn't, I didn't get hit. And so I'm still bent over. I'm kind of crouched down, covering my head and my hands slowly come down and I look up. I look up closer and closer to, and then as I'm looking up, his leg is just hovering over my head. And then he very, very gently goes, boop, and taps me on my head. And in that moment, of both embarrassment and awe that he could hold his leg up in that position while I crouched and hid from him. I also kind of wish that he had chopped my head because it felt so belittling to be tapped on the head and be like, listen, no matter what you do to me, I still got you. And I'm still, I can be so gentle with you because you know that I can still win. And I was like, I never questioned it. We both fell. <laughs> but he, uh, he, he practiced meekness and beautiful self-control, but also control over his body to be able to hold his leg high up in the air. I think about this with dancers, uh, a lot of martial artists, just this incredible, not just flexibility to be bendy, not just static stretching to do nothing with it, but to use it, to have your muscles take you through your range of motion and to own it and control it. And that, that's kind of the purpose of active flexibility, to create, to give that range of motion that you've created through corrective flexibility, 
use to give it utility. That's active flexibility. Another study in 2019, Asharami et al. says a novel approach to improving hamstring flexibility. I like this one. So this one is actually trying to create more range of motion, and it was a single-blinded, randomized clinical control trial. So what they did is um, uh, they did pre and post, and it was just a, a another person kind of going through blindly doing the measurements, not knowing who got what treatment. And um, so there were 60 people. They're, they're healthy individuals, ages 18 to 24, and they all had short hamstrings. They all had short hamstrings. And what they did is they took these individuals and they gave them a passive hamstring stretch uh, with uh, the hip at 90, 90 degrees of flexion. And then they had another group and they did um, uh, the passive stretch, but they, they also then did this kind of neurodynamic stretching. So what happened? There was a significant improvement with hamstring flexibility in in both of the groups, so the the active extension group. So there was another group that did active extension. So there was, sorry, uh, static stretching. There was neurodynamic stretching for the tibial nerve. And then there was the active uh, quadricep flexibility. And so the quadricep group actually had better improvement compared to just the passive hamstring stretch group. There was a significant improvement in hamstring flexibility post-intervention compared with pre-intervention with the passive stretching group. But here's what they found. They, they kind of walked away with the quadriceps and doing muscle activation for the quads following the passive stretching of the hamstrings appears to be superior than just doing passive stretching or during the, doing the neurodynamic nerve techniques to improve hamstring muscle flexibility. So what's a good way to do it? A good way to do it is practice static stretching and then practice active stretching. So look for, try to garner new range of motion and then add strength to the new range of motion, except instead of doing it in series, like here's your block of static stretching and then move on to active stretching, they put them together and found that this was a much more significant means of increasing range of motion. They walk away with their clinical implication that quadricep activation following passive hamstring stretching can be used in physiotherapy settings to improve hamstring muscle flexibility. You know what we can also use it in? Our situation. We can use it in our world as fitness professionals. And we do. And this is what I like about the, the NASM optimum performance training model is that it gives you, there's so many options of things to do. Neuro, uh, I'm sorry, uh, static stretching, foam rolling, dynamic stretching. There are different versions. So you can do PNF or neurodynamic stretching or uh, neuromuscular facilitation. You can do contract, relax, uh, contract, relax with op op opposing contraction. These, in some of the research, so this is like neuromuscular stretching, which I talked about a little bit in the static stretching. Some people will refer to that as versions of active stretching as well. So it's just the category that you want to place it in. But I mean, the same thing goes. We have all these versions of flexibility. We have all these versions of, of core and balance and why? Because they all exist. So what, what the OPT model basically does is it doesn't say 
follow only these exercises. It says all exercises have a place, but do you have a system to put it in? All right. And, and I think that's, that's really the, the takeaway. We're not the people that just do this and just do this. We do it all, but where does it fit in programming? And that is really the sweet spot and a strong takeaway when it comes to the NASMOPT model. What do you walk away with? And what exercises do you like to do? I like this. Well, where does that fit in a progressive model of change? Is it, um, is it important for them to do and to work up to? Or is it something that they do now early on and move past but cycle back to? All of it is good. We, I like all kinds of exercises. It's just, how do you train for it? Where does it fit in? And also, you have to bring things back around. So it needs to be cyclical in nature because the farther you are away from stability, the less stability you'll like to maintain. The farther you are away from dynamics and, and power training, the more likely you are, you're going to lose that. So do you have a cyclical nature? Is it cyclical as in like a linear periodization that circles back around? Is it undulating? So you circle around, I don't know, weekly, monthly? It all depends. But this is where the value of the model comes in. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you uh, coming in and checking out the podcast. Like, subscribe, share with your fitness friends and family. And please please go online to whatever you're listening to and click the little button and leave a report, a comment that, that means a lot to us. So thank you for those of you who have already left comments and liked and subscribed. If you get questions for me, please reach out to me. You can do so on Instagram at dr.rickritchie, or you can hit me up on my email, rick.ritchie at nasm.org. Thanks for being here. Y'all keep inspiring people in the ways of fitness. This has been the NASM CPT Podcast.